Hello and welcome everyone to this week's edition of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. The Commonwealth Games are over. The Monaco Diamond League is tomorrow, Wednesday, depending on when you're listening to this. And most importantly, yours truly, Jonathan Gold, is back from vacation to save the podcast. So much has happened in the last week while I was away. Mary Marat has won one of the craziest 800-meter finals we've ever seen at the Commonwealth Games. Roisin Willis of the United States has won the World Under-20 title in the 800 meters. Sydney McLaughlin signed up to run a Diamond League, then withdrew from the Diamond League. She did race in Europe for the first time in three years on Monday. Galen Rupp was announced on Tuesday morning as part of the 2022 New York City Marathon field. Lex and Leo Young, the high school stars from Newbury Park, have both committed to Stanford University. Plenty to talk about. We dig into all of it starting right now. This is Jonathan Gold. Your co-host, I am joined by my bosses, Robert and Weldon Johnson. Guys, it's been a while since I've talked track with you. I'm happy to get back to it. Wow. Good to see you, John. I mean, you said you're back to save the podcast, but I'm not sure if we even missed you. And this day, you realize it's 2022, John. Vacation, that doesn't really exist in this gig economy. You're supposed to be working... 52-7, 365. John, and I'm going to expose you on this podcast unless you send me that payment that I asked for. I'm still checking my bank account and I haven't gotten it. I didn't really believe Jonathan was on vacation. He's not the type of guy that goes to like museums and sightsees and Yellowstone. I mean, I know Yellowstone's theoretically not a museum, but it's like God's museum or nature's museum. It just seems suspect to me. And then it hit me. I said, oh my gosh, Jonathan Gold's such a sports fan. He and his dad have flown back to the Commonwealth. They've flown back to the homeland and they're at the Commonwealth Games. So I text this out to the staff on Sunday. I'm like, I figured out where Jonathan really is. And then I got a text and it appears to be from your number, John. And it's blasphemy. All your fans that are listening, all their fans that think, even Jakob Ingerbertson, he thinks, wow, I really like that Jonathan Gold. He saves the podcast. I hope you're listening to this. John, deny this came from your phone. If I was in England today, I wouldn't have been at the Commonwealth Games. I would have been at Old Trafford watching Brighton beat Manchester United. I believe that's you saying that you would have been at a soccer match instead of watching track and field. Is that true, John? Well, you confessed all that came from your phone. I wrote it. I mean, would I rather see the greatest... Pr- Greatest football team in England at the start of a historic season in which we'll win our first Premier League title, go to Old Trafford and win for the first time? Or would I rather go to the final day of a second-rate track and field competition? There's no contest. Brighton all the way. Pascal Gross, two goals. Historic opening day win for the Seagulls. Well, all those on-athletic people that pay you that extra bonus money for talking up Ollie Hoare, now you've called his winner. Second rate. Right, my no, no. Theory- second, rate, second rate competition in general. Like some of the events obviously were top tier. Like that men's 1500 was loaded. But yeah, look, it would have been great to go there. And you guys, if you still want to, fl- if you want to fly me out to Munich for the Euros trip to Germany in August, nice. But 
you know, we've all, we've all got our passions. You know, you pay me to cover track, but I pay to go to soccer. All right, I have one other theory, John, and I know this is going to bother you. Please put your hands up to the screen so I can see them like this. Flip them around. My other theory that John quickly eloped has been disproven. There's no wedding ring on there either. I thought maybe John fell in love and went to Vegas. Damn it. Over two for Rojo. Yeah, I, t- I took the ring off before the podcast for a bit. So, uh, no, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway, it's good to be back. I did listen to the podcast while I was away. I thought you guys did a good job, though there were a couple of times you're like, oh, I wish John was here to correct us on the stats. And then you were asking, the one that stood out to me is you were asking what Evan Jager's 1500 PB was. And I was like, is this really sad that I knew down to the decimal it was 332.97 like you guys were looking it up and then i was just like is that mean that i'm good at my job or that i don't have a life if i know his pb was from 2015 in the portland track festival he ran 332.97 done i don't think it's sad i think it's glorious having the wisdom that others don't it's a wonderful thing and the big problem with our sport is just about every competition can be called a second-rate track competition, except for the Olympics. Some people's mind, the only one that isn't second-rate is the Olympics. <laughs> Forget about Worlds. Most people's mind, the Worlds as well qualifies. In the Let's Run.com mind, we have a big one tomorrow. Monaco Diamond League, but it's a rule of the show. Never preview something that you know, half the people will be listening to this podcast after it's happened. So we'll preview Monaco at the end of the show. I think we should do a little more Commonwealth recap. Supporters Club members, we broke down the men's 1500 meter on the Supporters Club show. We have a second podcast every week. Rojo and I talked about it for about 30 minutes. So join the Supporters Club today. Let's run.com slash subscribe. Get a second podcast you save 20% of running shoes. This is the subscription that pays for itself. So join today. But as we were recording Supporters Club podcast, the Women's 800 was about to go off. We thought it was going off in 10 minutes, but it was actually an hour later. We have not talked about that. But John, I think the big race for most of Let's Run Nation was this men's 1500 meters. And that was the one we were all excited, most excited about heading into Worlds. And this race delivered. In so many ways. And our regular, you know, our regular people, we love you guys. We got to give you some love here on this race as well. So, John, what are your impressions on the men's 1500? Yeah, it was fantastic. It was a race. I was driving back my final day of my road trip back home, and I wanted to pull over and watch it on the side of the road, but I didn't have a way to get a VPN on my phone. But then you sent me the entire race, and you didn't spoil the outcome so i was like oh this is amazing and i watch it it was fantastic and like you guys said on the supporters club show it was pretty similar to the world championship final you know very quick race winning time of 330.12 and jake whiteman tried to do the same thing he did in eugene he took the lead with about 200 to go but he couldn't get this gap the gap this time chariot came back on him and then steaming on the outside is ollie Hoare. And timed his kick perfectly, gets redemption. You could tell it meant a lot to him to get the win. He was the first Aussie to win the Commonwealth Games men's 1500 title since Herb Elliott in 1958. And 
you know, happy for Ollie because he had such a horrible, well, he just, he choked, basically. He ran a terrible tactical race in the semis at Worlds and didn't make it to the final. And he's taken some criticism from you guys, from Robert on this podcast this year, not believing in him. And I think he showed, you know, on his day, he's one of the best in the world. And obviously that World Championships is going to haunt him. But he rocked up against Kip Sang, against Chariot, against Whiteman, some of the very best in the world, knowing Ingebrigtsen, obviously, and got it done. So impressive run by him. But just that's why the 1500 is the best, right? You've got the world champion in here, but and he, like you guys said, was probably the favorite coming in, Whiteman. But we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it could have been Kip Sang and Chariot. One of them could have been could have dropped someone at the end of the race or could have been Josh Kerr who was fifth at Worlds and then fades all the way to last. He was horrible in this race. It's so many fast times. That was the real thing that really stuck out to me was looking at these finishing times because last place, Kerr ran 335 to finish last in this race. That was, that was like surprising to me. I mean, he obviously didn't have a good run but you just go down the list of names and, you know, Hoare 330, the top four guys all around 330. Jake Haywood, 331 PB in fifth. Sam Tanner, who's 21, 331 PB in sixth. Matthew Stonia from England, 332 PB. He's only 20 years old in seventh. You go down even... Ele- it's 11th, sorry, 10th place, Will Paulson, Princeton alum, runs 333 ties his PB. It was just a really high quality race, really exciting finish. It was tremendous. John, I don't want to go negative to start, but my other thing is thinking about these times the last few years it's like 330, the old 333, 334. It's essentially like the old 334 sort of championship race. I mean, the times are just so fast, and I don't think these guys are that much better than the people five years ago. Now, maybe some of that you could argue there's there's less sort of Kenyan stars. I don't know if that's a crackdown. I'm, I'm doping or what. I mean, I'm starting to view some of these long-held paradigms that had in sport differently, but you're consistently seeing sort of 330 championship races now. I mean, well, I guess we're at least we've seen three in a row if, if you count this Worlds and Olympics. Um you know, different races, but it was, it was crazy how similar this race was to the world to Eugene. Yeah. It's a combination of things. Well, then I think 330 now is probably 332 mid, maybe 333 from a couple of years ago, but you've also got some of the very best guys willing to just push the pace early on, whether it's Chariot, whether it's Abel Kip saying, whether it's Henry, uh, sorry, Jakob Ingebrigtsen. So the combination of those two things, that's why we're getting the really fast times in these finals. But what we haven't seen is the fast times up front. We haven't seen the 328s and 329s become 326s and 327s because of the shoes. But remember, when we had a discussion about if the shoes are making an impact from the back of the field, why are they on the top of the field? That's when John Kellogg said, no, I think these guys could run 324 with a rabbit the whole way. So to me... I've been analyzing this stuff differently ever since he told me that. Here we have another race where the person that pushes the pace loses. So, <laughs> uh, moving forward, you might not, not want to do that, guys. 
So that, that was a great race. It was fun to see. Here's my question. Which would you rather do? Win a bronze at Worlds or win, have won this gold medal? I think in a vacuum, I say the bronze at the World Championships because on the whole, I think a bronze at a World Championship is more impressive than Commonwealth Games gold. If you're taking, talking about the average of the events. But in this event specifically, this was a loaded field. So you could argue that a gold in this race is more impressive than the bronze from Eugene. I don't know. It, it's a, That's a tough question for me. I think I would lean towards bronze at Worlds, but, you know, if he, if like, if Oli Hoare had beaten a bunch of spares and won this gold, it's clearly the bronze medal at Worlds. But considering how good this field was, you could make a case for the gold at Commonwealths. Right. And what made this race special was the fact that Jake Whiteman was in it. Thank you, Jake, for trying to win it, not running the 800. And all these guys showed up and there was a huge crowd. It seemed like a big moment where sometimes Commonwealth's in a weird time of year. Not everyone goes. People like Momad didn't go this year, whatever. The more people say this, our sport says this is important, they actually then ends up being important. So this was just, I think, wonderful for the sport to have this event, to have this race count and mean something. You know, some of the other races weren't as loaded. But it didn't seem like, oh, we're putting an asterisk next to it just because everyone wasn't in it. John, yeah. In a vacuum, I think you say to Hor, which do you take? He takes the world's bronze. If you say now, hey, you can trade this for the world's bronze, he says no. I mean, he was so overcome with emotion on the ground afterwards at the race. That leads us, folks. Message board post of the week. Who says there's no positivity on Letterun.com? There's a post by Big Dosh. And this is all the post was. Amazing run. His emotion when he won shows how much it meant in world's hurt. All heart. That post, folks, 122 votes, not a single down vote. That's almost impossible. You can click the wrong button there, people. I mean, there was a post... Some jackass told Jordan Hesse to retire. And somebody said, hey, you know, maybe she move on, could move on, but she's a great runner. She can do what she wants. They got like 100 plus something upvotes, but one downvote. You always see the one guy who wants to ruin the party, but not here. So thank you, Big Dosh. Thank you, Ollie. Big Dosh, get to see Let's Run.com. Shirt of his choice. Shop.let'srun.com. Softest running shirts in the business. Check them out now. I see Rojo's got his shirt on right now. John, do you too? I do. It's, uh, again, there's no lies about that softest shirts in business. Everyone I talk to who gets one of these shirts, and I have a whole bunch of them in my room right now because Robert flew him out to Eugene and left me with the bag. Everyone who wears them are like, oh my God, this is so comfortable. This is like the most comfortable, softest shirt I've ever worn. So there's a reason I wear it around the house, people. And it looks good too. You guys are both wearing the blue, which actually I was wearing earlier today too. So I think there's becoming a preference. The yellow shirt we should save for like championship racing, that sort of stuff. Blue, day-to-day casual wear. John, are you going to start sending out the shirts one by one like me and John Kellogg do? Or do you want to ship those to me? We have an Olympian waiting for his shirt. I would rather you take care of it. So I'd like to ship it back to you if possible. Or I don't know if you could wait till. New York City Marathon or something when I drop things off. But yeah, 
ideally I wouldn't become the shipping boy, but you know, I am an employee for, of this company, so I'll do what I need to do. All right, shall we go back to the track action in the Commonwealth Games? Robert, you wanted to talk about the women's 1500? Yeah, John, I wanted to talk about the women's 1500 because it's something, I don't know, I consider myself a man of the people. And while I'm not an expert on the inner workings of Athletics Australia, I didn't talk too much about this because I didn't know all of the details. Just at the 50,000 foot view, it looked very bad to me. And in case you don't remember the story, Abby Caldwell, the young 20-year-old, wins the Aussie trials. And if you, had, if you had the standard or got the standard at the trials, you were guaranteed a spot on the team. She flies over the U.S., gets the standard. You think getting the standard closer to the games would even make you more of a guarantee on the team. But no, there was technically a loophole where they didn't have to put her on the team, so they left her off the team. Even though Nick Badeau, the agent, had written Abby's coach and said, hey, I'll help you find a race so you can get, guarantee your selection for the team. And <clears throat> along the way, Nick offered her a Puma contract. She turned it down. Georgie Griffith, another Nick Badeau client, did take, the Puma, did take a Puma contract, and she was on the world's team. So I'm not saying Nick put Joe Georgie on the team because she's a Puma athlete. Georgie's a very good athlete. She, Australia had four really good 1,500-meter runners. Georgie made the finals this year. They had two make the Olympic finals last year. Somebody was going to be left out, but it should never have been the woman that won the Australian trials. Track and field needs more meets that matter, and she was screwed over royally. So I was excited to see what she could do in this race at the Commonwealth Games. And guess what? Guess who was the top Australian finisher in this race? Guess who got the bronze medal? Abby Caldwell. And I started a thread saying she made the Australian selectors look like fools. Some people were like, oh, no. The, the Aussies, the other Aussies, they actually peaked for world, so they were just tired here. Of course she beat them here. Hey, no, 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 no. Abby won. Athletics Australia, zero. That's all I'm saying on this. It was sweet vindication. And our sport needs more meets that matter. We need less apparent conflicts of interest, and there's so many conflicts of interest in this sport. Like, it was going to be hard whether Nick, for Nick Badeau, if he's involved in this process at all, to do it perfectly. So the best way to do it is just to have a race. And guess what? Abby won that race. Okay, John, I, I had to go away for a few minutes and I was shocked to come back and still hear Robert in the middle of a monologue about the women's 1500 of the Commonwealth. Was he talking about the selection process the whole time? Because the race itself, I don't think there's much to talk about. No, he, he had to get up for a minute, so he was not talking the okay. entire time you were gone. I think that was a, that was a normal-sized Rojo rant. I thought it was a good rant. I do agree with the points he made. Uh, Laura Muir actually won that race. It was a big deal for her because this was her first sort of international title. You know, she's medaled at the Olympics. She's medaled at Worlds. She's medaled at World Indoors, but she's never won any of those races. So actually, wait. Has she won a European title? She's so good. She has to have won a European title, right? She's definitely won Euro indoors. I know that. I'm trying to think outdoors. Has she won a European outdoor title? 1500, 2018. Okay. I stand corrected. She has won an international title. But this was big for her because in 2014 in Glasgow, which is on home soil, she was still sort of up and coming. She tripped, finished 11th in that race. She gets some redemption. Uh, and it's the, the clear victor here in the women's 15. I do want to ask you guys one question because on this message board discussion about this race, people said, hey, people are always saying now, Rojo, you're a journalist. Why don't you ask these questions? 
they make fun of me for not being a journalist, for not asking these questions. And they're like, you guys talked to Nick Bedeau. I'm like, I didn't talk to Nick Bedeau. You guys did talk to Nick. Did you talk to him about the selection process? We did not. I actually emailed Nick Bedeau yesterday. A little slow getting back on my emails after Worlds. We saw Nick right at the corner. I mean, this is one of the best things about Eugene, right? It's kind of got the small town feel, even if you're World Championships. It's the final day of Worlds, right, John? Mm-hmm. I mean, the World Championships have just ended. I guess we probably have some interviews, so it's probably like an hour later. I'm not sure what time it is. And pretty much the first street corner outside of Worlds, there's Nick Madeau introduces himself, and next thing you know, Vinland and Anna comes bounding across the street. But no, we did not talk about selection. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't, that also wasn't like if this was a media availability session, then I think it would have come up. But this was sort of just wanted to talk about a couple of things. It wasn't like we were doing a formal interview with him. So that's why we didn't ask him. But anyway, Robert, anything else on that? Or should we move on to this ridiculous women's 800 final, which is one of the craziest 800 races I think any of us have ever seen? We got to talk about that. And the gun goes off. Mary Morov, Kenya goes out in about 25 points. 25 high, but you got to have 0.24 for the hand time. And then around 300, she starts to slow down. And right before 400, it looks like she slams on the brakes. I mean, she's not even in the lead at at 400 meters. And based on the camera angles, it was kind of hard to see what was happening, but it's pretty clear she was by 500 all the way in last place. And you're like, man, that didn't last very long. And then yet when the race is over 300 meters later, she is your winner. Never before in the history of any elite 100 meter runners has anyone ever gone from first to last to first. From what we can tell, correct us if you're wrong. Give you $100 if we are wrong. Robert at letsrun.com. But this was crazy. If you look at the splits, it was roughly like 41 for the first 300, 47 for the next 300, and then like a 28. And just absolutely ridiculous um, that she was able to pull this off. Beating Keely Hodgson in the Pacers, you know, I guess she's now the Salisi Sahin of women's 800-meter runners. Always she's really, really good, but always getting the silver. Younger people, if you don't know who Salisi Sahin is, get out and go to Google. I think it's Chernish Tababa's husband, right? Yeah. But what do we make of this? I mean, to me, it's, it's interesting in the sense of, I got to give her, like, I thought it was incredibly stupid tactics, but I got to give her credit in the sense of she clearly is just list. Like she does listen to her body. Like what she said afterwards, it wasn't intentional. So She's going out. She realizes it's too fast. Then she backs off and just goes, allows herself to go all the way back to last place and then slams it home and wins. And it was actually interesting. You know, Weldon immediately, he starts to throw out on this. Like we both went to the message board immediately and started threads that were similar, but they had different takes. Weldon says, does this mean she can challenge off thing Mo? And I just put, was this the craziest 800 ever has this ever happened before? But I do think that it shows you that what a talent she is. You can do this. This is not the optimal way to run the 800. But, you know, I think if she can learn to start a little bit smarter, 
you know, she, she's got a bright future. But I, I thought it was interesting. If you haven't read this week's edition of The Week That Was, my written re- weekly recap, I've got some good stuff in there. And remember, I reminded people, hey, at USA's All Thing Mo did something a little bit similar. She went like 42, 46, 29, and ran 157. So she's kind of gassed a little bit, relaxed. And then, but there she's not going to last place because it was just the semifinals of USA's. But what a ridiculous race. Yeah, I have, I have a couple takes on it. One, you have to remember that she's still only 22 years old. I mean, she's a couple years older, Marah, than Mo and Hodgkinson, but she's only been running this event. Last year was her first year running it. She started out as a 400 runner. She's run 50.8. She was the Kenyan champion of the 400 this year. So she has great speed. She medaled at the World Championships this year. So you know, we know she's... It's not like she's totally out of place running like these tactical finals and that sort of thing. But the 800 is not an easy race tactically to run. And what was strange here is normally if you make a big mistake, like going out way too fast for the first 200 and 800, you're done. The margin of error is just very small, especially when you're going up against someone as good as Keely Hodgkinson. So the fact that Marah had the margin of error here, that she's so fit and talented to run stupidly the first 200 but then still win and still run 157.07 shows her true ability right now might be you know 155 high or 156 and yeah if that's the case you're talking about someone who might be able to challenge a thing mo again keely hodgkinson almost beat a thing mo at the world championships this year and mary Marah has now beaten hodgkinson two of the last three times they've raced both in this race and in the diamond league in stockholm so what we thought might be a two-person battle after the Olympics last year might be now a three-person battle moving forward, but no one still, still no one has beaten a thing Mo. She's undefeated since turning pro, so she's still in the driver's seat, but yeah, uh, this was a super crazy exciting race and makes me even more excited for the 800 moving forward. There's one aspect of this race that I, no one talked about. I feel a little bit bad for Natoya Goal, I mean, she's been on the circuit. She's been running on high level. She seems to never put it together at the championships. She had the bronze here. I don't want to say she let up, but she didn't like dive at the line and then Laura Muir nips her by like 100th of a second. I'm just like, man, Natoya deserves a medal at some point. But, you know, it's kind of cool to see Laura Muir double up at the Commonwealth Games, get the bronze here, and then just destroy everybody in that 1500 meter final a day later. Yeah, John, what happened to her the last Commonwealth? I'm shocked she didn't win a Commonwealth Games. But I also applaud her for going for the double, right? She could have played it safe and just gone for the 1500, where she was the heavy favorite, run one pretty convincingly. But, I mean, it's one thing we're seeing with our sport. A lot of meets don't matter, but this one mattered a lot to people in Britain. You know, the crowds were huge. And the crowds were absolutely nuts. Huge. You know, it gets a lot of press in Britain. So, yeah, this is... Go for the double. So she gets the bronze and the gold. I, I, I just liked it. You know, whereas Sydney McLaughlin, she runs the one European race, doesn't have to run another one the rest of the year, no one will care. It's just how our, how our sport works. Yeah, 
No, I mean, it's a good point, Wallen. The more athletes, who, more top athletes who commit to run these meets, that's how you imbue them with value, and that's how you grow the sport is, okay, well, it is actually interesting, though. Even if all these top stars skip, I think people were just so desperate in Birmingham to have this big event to go to, they wouldn't have really cared. Like, do you really think, is the, does the general British public know the difference between, you know, Mary Marat or Ollie Hoare running these races and some other Kenyan or Australian? Probably not, but they're there to cheer on the home British t- athletes and they're there for a big international competition. And one of the other reasons why the crowds were so good is Birmingham's like right in the middle of the country. It's the second biggest city in the United Kingdom and it's driving distance for basically all of England. So even if you want to go up just for just one day, you're drawing from 60 million people or something. Whereas Eugene, I mean, what's driving distance to Eugene? How many people live there? I mean, it's, it's pretty small. Even from C- Seattle is like maybe a five hour drive, but like, so you can't drive to Eugene for a day, you know, San Francisco, that's just too far. So you're really drawing from a much smaller population center. But also, that, that wasn't the only reason for the, the crowds being better than Eugene. I wanted, I'm glad you brought up the, the crowds because I wanted to talk about it. Oh, this is embarrassing to Eugene. Yeah, maybe, a little bit. First of all, the ticketing pricing, you know, which brought in more revenue? I bet Eugene brought in more revenue because the ticketing was like four times as expensive, like, the tickets for world for this event were reasonable. For Eugene, they were not. But uh, Robert, come on! I doubt it. This had thirty thousand a night. Morning sessions too. I mean, there's less sessions, but okay. Maybe they brought in more money, Weldon. But I saw some dumb tweets. Like I saw a tweet from Run Blog Run saying, "When you market the sport properly, this is what happens." First of all, the head of the Eugene damn thing was some British guy. So if the Brits had some secret to marketing it, they would have done it. If the Brits had a secret to marketing, they would have had people at their US, at their trials this year when nobody showed up. Like this, this, this wasn't popular because it was British track and field. It was popular because it's the Commonwealth Games, and these people in Britain like to regale in their old olden Commonwealth stuff and support. It's kind of like the uh, it's probably a slash. Help me out, John, if I'm here. I don't want to offend too many Brits, but it's just like a, like I combo of the beauty of the Olympic trials were slash civil war reenactment type thing. No, no, I don't think there's anything about like reliving the glory of the empire. It's just, it's a major international sporting event that's taking place in England. And unlike the United States where, I mean, I saw this tweet from my old Dartmouth teammate, Will Gohegan and his theory on one of the reasons why track has become such a niche sport is that, ESPN basically doesn't cover track. ESPN only covers the stuff they have rights to. So it's the NFL and the NBA. And now you'll see more. They have, I was watching SportsCenter the other day. What did they show a lot of highlights of? The WNBA. Is the WNBA one of the most popular sports in the country? No, but does ESPN have the rights for it? Yes. So, and ESPN is where sports fans in the United States go for their fix. I don't think that, I mean, obviously, football or soccer has the whole hold over the United over England. That's by far their most popular sport. But I don't think it's quite the same where there are just these few handful of sports that are being shoved down American sports fans' throats, and those are the ones we're told to care about. In England, if you're having a big Commonwealth Games, the fans are able to 
sort of, well, I don't know if think for themselves is the right spot, but they're more open to saying like, I'm more interested in this, even though it's something I might not normally follow. It seems like a cool event. Whereas Americans are more just interested in the sports that they're told to be interested in. But as a broad populace, that's sort of a sweeping generalization. The the main thing also was the population thing. I was like, you you nailed it. You know, you, you were telling me how it's centrally located. And then I went and looked up the results on statista.com there's one two three f- there's five cities in in the uk it appears to me that have a metro pop- metro metro area of over 1.5 million four of them were within a two and a half hour drive of birmingham london manchester birmingham and leeds the only city in the united kingdom that is not within a two and a half hour drive of these commonwealth games is glasgow which is way up in the north so well, Glasgow is Scotland, yeah. Why not? That's in the UK. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know. I'm just, and just to clarify. what I'm yeah. saying, and, and what's within a two and a half hour drive of? Eugene? It's like Portland. That's Portland. it. Barely. Barely Portland, which is crazy, right? Yeah. This wasn't marketed better. The Commonwealth Games, well, one thing you can't help, right? The Commonwealth Games probably have more cachet in England than the World Track Championships do in the United States. But the big problem for Eugene was worlds in Eugene was it's the middle of nowhere. I mean, I'm sh- and also it shows what the Olympic trials with the average person has way more pull. If you have the trials in Eugene in what 2024, it'll be full for the week. Let's just book it right now. It's going to happen. If you have the trials in Atlanta, if you have the trials in Des Moines, it'll be full. The top supposedly said co is upset because this was good track ratings in the U.S. for worlds. For worlds, but it's it's getting dwarfed by the Olympic trials. The Olympic trials pull in way more fans than the worlds. And we, we were talking about this the other day, like we don't care about the gymnastics worlds, we don't care about the swimming worlds, we care about the Olympics. So that's that's true for you know the, the average fan as well. But you guys talk about meets that matter. The reason why Gloria Mirror hasn't won this race before, because she didn't run the 2018 Commonwealth Games, the best I can tell. She skipped it. So when it wasn't at home, when it wasn't in the room. Right after Worlds, you know. I also think one of the reasons why Eugene crowds were bad, it's hard, it's expensive too, but if you're in Europe, you can just stay home and you can also go to Commonwealth this year or you can go to the European Championships. So it's just like the U.S. fan that had to pick and choose between, do I want to go to NCAs, USAs, or Worlds in Eugene? Pick one. Same thing with the European fan. Do I want to go to the Commonwealth? Do I want to go to the Europeans? Or do I want to go out to Eugene? Well, hell, Eugene's by far the hardest to get to. I think I'll stay home and go to those. I mean, the, the Commonwealth thing where it ranks in people's pecking order is interesting, right? Like, obviously, a home Commonwealth or in England, she's Scottish. Laura's there. I mean, it's a big thing on the BBC, that sort of thing. But, you know, all the whores pumped off as can be for winning. But a guy like Mohamed skips it. Like, what's Mohamed got better to do right now? But it just shows maybe with Canadians, it's not that big of a deal. Obviously, with him, it's not that big of a deal. It's just it's just one of those things with our sport, right? I mean, the only thing we all agree on, track fans, are Worlds and Olympics. Everything else, on Let's Run, I think most hardcore track fans appreciate the Diamond League. And then it's slim pickings after that. But that's something you and I and Weld and John have all agreed on. The Diamond League is what we're paying attention to. Every time there's a meet, we try to recap it, whatever. Should we transition now? We had a great track meet on Monday, the Gulai, Gulai, 
I'm sorry if I'm butchering the pronunciation, but that's still easier than the name of the city that it's in in Hungary. Near Budapest, let's just call it that. The Hungry Meat, we'll call it the Hungry Meat. That was on Monday. This meat always gets terrific fields, and this year's edition was no exception. They had Shelly Ann Fraser Price runs 10.67 to win the 100. Arian Knighton gets his first European victory, 19.88. There were meat records galore in this thing. And the most interesting thing to me was Sydney McLaughlin because she was announced two days after the World Championships finished. They say Sydney McLaughlin is running Monaco Diamond League. This is her first Diamond League since 2019. I'm like, okay, this is great. Cool. You know, it's about time she ran a Diamond League. And then it comes out just about 10 days later. Oh, she's not running Monaco anymore. She's running this Hungary meet. And I'm just like, what? I don't know. Like, what changed? Did Hungary just come in and offer her some ridiculous amount of money? Like, it's just kind of strange. Look, I'm still glad she went over and competed. But is it is good for this? And like, do I view it as a huge issue? Not exactly. Either way, she was going to just blast whoever she was racing against. She ran 51.68. She came out and crushed everyone, as we expected. And that's what she would have done in the field against Monaco. But you're going to get more attention in Monaco. And what I'd really like to see, I don't know. I mean, I feel like at one on one side, when she competes at these championships, she always brings it. She's peaked perfectly. She delivers fantastic performances, well records. It's amazing to watch. But that's basically all you're getting from her because she really doesn't run any big meets outside of the global championships. And Rojo, I can smell a rant coming on from you. Yes, she, she could do more. She could run both. Look, she's an amazing athlete, but I think she owes more to the sport than just running the championships. Going to Europe to pick up some payday, why can't you go to Monaco too? People are, oh, you know, you're asking her to run for free. She deserves a huge appearance fee. I don't know. If I was her, I would run, I'd, I'd run Monaco, go on a two-week honeymoon with my husband, maybe work out twice a week, and then do some some version of stock. What, what do we have left? Zurich, Brussels, and something else. Lausanne. Yeah. Lausanne. Like, wouldn't that sound like fun? Get paid, hang out in Europe? Even if she runs 52 seconds, she's still going to win these races. Who cares? Like, we owe it more to the sport. I read a fascinating critique of the LIV golf tour yesterday. And, like, I, I, I say this at Let's Run. I've started to realize that we're the voice of the people. I'll make a t-shirt that'll make fun of a pro sometimes. Like, the voice of the fans. There's no one standing up for the fans anymore. Like, and it was talking about the LIV tour. It's like, We'll try to link to this article in the show notes, but it was like, he said, Greg Norman's talking about how this is, you know, the, the players get to compete when they want to compete and they make an unprecedented amount of money. And what's left out of that phrase is any concept of what the fans are getting out of it. Nothing. Like the, the LIV tour doesn't help the fans. It just makes the rich, golfers richer. Like we need to have the fans have, be rewarded. Like I, I think, you know, Martin, is Mondo competing every weekend boring and winning the pole vault? No. The fans love it. He goes across the, uh, Europe. They, they, they get to see Mondo. He, they all clap. They have fun. He gets paid. Sport's better off for it. So, you know, you didn't want to criticize her in, in the Monaco preview. You were so tipping on Oh, Sydney. She does bring it. But I just feel like a, the next step for her is to enjoy competing. Not view it as so stressful 
and give back to the fans a little bit. Well, yeah, this is why I wanted to be a little careful because this is a woman, she's had all this attention on her since she was 16. She's handled it really well for the most part. You know, she's always so poised in interviews. She delivers on the biggest stage time and time again. And then we're saying, hey, you, you know, you just turned 23 and you need to be doing more and you need to be doing more. And people have been asking her to do more like her whole career. And I don't know, it's just, it's a lot of stress. It can be a lot of attention. She's not, she doesn't like being on social media. She kind of just basically has to do it for her job. But if she didn't, if she wasn't paid all this enormous amount of money by New Balance, she probably wouldn't have a social media account because again, it comes with a lot of negativity on that. And obviously there's a lot of positivity too, but you you pay attention to the negativity. So but yeah, I, do I think she should be on the Diamond League more? Yes, of course. Look at what's happened to the NBA. NBA stars, they don't care about the regular season. And so fans care less about the regular season too. They just care about the playoffs. And that's the same thing. The Diamond League is our regular season. If you want people to compare about, if you want people to care, and fans to care about the regular season, you need to have the stars showing up. It needs to be, Bolt basically didn't run the Diamond League his last four years of his career. McLaughlin doesn't really run it. Many, you know, there are some stars who will show up, but if you want to make this thing popular, you need to have the biggest names competing, getting excited about it. And I do agree, Robert. I mean, I'm looking at this. There are a number of athletes who were entered in the hungry meet on Monday and then are doubling back and also running in Monaco on Wednesday. And some of them are short sprinters, which is obviously easy to turn around. But Sydney McLaughlin, she won that race pretty easily in Hungary. Could she come back and run the op- the flat 400 against Shawnee Miller-Webo in Monaco two days later? I think that would be fantastic. And if th- this is, she's ending her season. Her, the options, so for the option is one, run, one more race at one of the biggest diamond leagues of the year that a lot of fans can get excited about or just end your season and go home. I know every, every track fan wants to see, the, see her run this race. And it's just kind of unfortunate for the fans that they don't get that opportunity. John, if she smokes everybody in the 400 hurdles, do you care? I still think it's better if she competes, right? I mean, people are like, oh, this live tour doesn't mean anything. Meets that matter, matter. But yeah, it would be great. I think her team should also encourage her. Go run the 400 and maybe get beat. There's nothing wrong with losing. She doesn't have to be perfect. But as a sport, we need to see her more. She... I don't know. Is this wrong to say? She owes the sport nothing. She just has to go compete. That's her job. The sport needs to be structured better, but to get these stars to compete, there is no regular season in the sport. You know? I mean, sure, we put emphasis on the Diamond League, but the Diamond League, it, it, it's sort of like its own little creation, right? It's not like the regular season in soccer, even, or basketball, or the NFL. You You can show this... What she's doing shows the biggest star in the sport, the most successful female runner right now on the planet, right? Is there any debate on that? No, it's her, for sure. That she could compete, well, I guess she'd have to run USAs. She can compete twice a year, and may- maybe then she gets some blowback from fans, and nobody, but otherwise nobody would care. Next year, she wouldn't even have to run USAs. She would she could jog one round or withdraw, basically, because we've seen now with the Dalila Muhammad and Michael Cherry exemptions, you don't even need to run USAs. She could say, I'm skipping USAs, shows up in Budapest, wins her two goals, and ends the season. Now, she's not going to do that, but she you could if that. she wanted. 
You don't know that she's not going to do that. They need to get rid of this buy. How many times should we get rid of this buy? And I've thought about this. While we haven't talked about this, the World Athletics is adding a new round to the Olympics. Instead of having time qualifiers, oh they're going to have a rapid charge round. So they're adding more races that don't mean anything. I was thinking maybe we should go to Worlds with straight finals. Or actually, I like the semifinals. In the, I like to see the semifinals in the sprints particularly. Like I like to see them in round one and then later that day in the final, build a little anticipation. But I was thinking early in the year, Maybe we make the dot to, to make people peak at different times of the year. You know, you'd have to run your, your, it would be hard. You'd have to run your, you'd have to get your USA championships out of the way early, like March or something. And then you use the diamond leagues as the qualify meets. So you say, all right, Paris diamond league, we're going to have three rounds of the 1500s. This, this is going to be the first round of the 1500s. So when we go to worlds, it's just semis and finals. Or if we go to, you know, so you make people, some of these diamond leagues, okay. This diamond league is going to be the 400 hurdle prelims. This diamond league is going to be the 200 prelims. At least people then have to run those races and pay attention to those races and peak at different times of the year. Cause if you're not ready to go, then too bad. You're out of the, di- you're out of the world. Yeah. This repishage thing, this broke while I was away on vacation. This is one of the stupidest ideas of for track and field I've heard in years. And in general, I think Sebco and Jakob Larson at World Athletics, I think they do a good job of running things, but. I don't know who got this idea in their ear or who came up with it. It's idiotic because as a sport, we need more races that matter. And this is, first of all, you're placing an undue burden on these qualifiers, like the 800 and 1500 runners who weren't going to do anything in the final anyway, now have to run an extra round. And it's just a meaningless race because you're seeing it. It's going to be an extra race between the worst athletes of the world championships who are just then probably going to even just get eliminated in the semifinals. Who cares about that? It's just wasting time. The world championship schedule is already kind of bloated across 10 days. We need more races that matter, not fewer. And this is a, these are races that just don't matter. And I know it's it's aimed towards athletes. It's saying, oh, they fly all the way to world championships and compete. And then they run one race and it's over. Sorry, this is professional track and field. This is how it works. Like, do you want, let's just, Maybe we just change the rules and say, okay, no, you don't actually get to run any re- races. We get rid of the first round. You, Like Robert said, sorry, you weren't good enough to qualify. You don't even get to compete. This, this isn't a participation meet. It's a meet to determine the best athletes in the world. So the repishage thing, yeah, we need to can it. It's, it's absurd. If you, if you guys don't know what we're talking about, so basically I think it's just for the first round, right? Instead of having time qualifiers out of the first round to get to the semis of the Olympics, they're going to put all the losers into a heat and then they're going to let them compete for two or three time spots, right? For, yeah, for the 200 through 1500 meters. Just in the first round. It, it's just to get in the semis, right? It's not to get from the yes, semis. Yes, correct. Point. Correct. So, and this was presented to me as like, hey, Robert, tomorrow we're going to announce something good. I was like, man, this, they must not understand. I literally thought like, I'm going to write an editorial saying we've got to get rid of all these preliminary rounds of worlds and just have semis and finals. Now, the problem is, I do think some of these smaller countries enjoy having someone at Worlds. It's fun to see your person run once. And I was like, maybe for the Olympics to see, like, your person, before they get eliminated, they get to run twice. Maybe that would be okay for the Olympics, just so that the Olympic broadcaster can have the local person in Sri Lanka run twice. But for the World Championships, absolutely not. I hope they never bring this to Worlds. They claimed that they discussed it with athletes and it was very popular. I'm not buying it. Well, what again, everyone's talking about the athletes. What about the fans? What about us? Yeah. Also, I want to know, all right, the 800 and 1500 runners, they're just cool with running an extra round. Like, well, 
if if it's that or go home, yeah, you'll run the extra round. But it's it's just so stupid. The two hundred, you know, the shorter events there already are they already are time trials. So you're gonna time trial once and you time trial again. It's like, no, just go pick qualifiers solely if you're I mean, they, you could do it time, but no, pick the top four, whatever, top six, that's it. None of this bullshit. We don't need to waste too much time on this. Maybe we should bring Jakob Larson, he's a podcast listener, on the show, have him talk about it, or get someone who's really an advocate about this and debate it with them, because to me, it's just a complete waste. The only reason why I can see it is if the broadcasters are going to pay more for it. If, they, if, they, if the broadcasters said, we have to have this for TV ratings, okay, I'm fine with wasting my time because I'm not going to watch it anyways. But in general, you're right. Just get the win calculator and calculate out for the 200 heats. Like the time qualifiers, like, okay, this person had a two-person, two-second wind. This one had a one-meter second wind. Whatever. No, no, you don't do wind. You get in the top five in your heat, or you make the final, or you don't. There's not a single time qualifier in a sprint. You're already sprinting all out. Get in the top. Same thing with the distance races. Instead of having top four and then the repertoires around, just do the top six. This is ridiculous. All right. A few other things wanted to hit on here. First of all, I just wanted to wish happy anniversary to David Rudisha. We're recording this on Tuesday, August 9th, which is 10 years to the day since his iconic 140.91 world record in the 2012 Olympic final in London. I remember watching this race on the kitchen table, my parents' house in Bedford, Massachusetts, and I'll never forget it. It was just, I mean, we, we had a... We had a bracket in 2019 to determine, let's run readers, what was your favorite race? What was the best race of the 2010s? This is the one that won. Radisha set the world record of 140.91, which still stands to this day. And then the times behind him were absolutely ridiculous. Second place, Nigel Amos, 141.73. Bronze medal, Timothy Keaton. What happened to him? 142.53. Dwayne Solomon, Nick Simmons, both ran 142. Americans wasn't good enough to medal at the Olympics. 4-5. You had personal bests by seven of the eight guys in the field. Only Ababeka Kaki, who ran 143.32 in seventh. That was just a season's best for him. And then eighth place, Andrew Asagi, 143.77, and he got eighth in the Olympic final. I mean, I believe, I think I saw a stat that time would have won each of the previous three Olympics. So just an all-time legendary race. I just wanted to pay, pay it some tribute. It's one of my favorite races to ever watch. Weldon, were you there? Did let we have someone from Let'sRun.com in the stadium for that race? What are your memories of that day? Jen, I was right there on the finish. You know, we're talking about this Ray Parjar, whatever the thing is called, round, saying the people in charge may not be geniuses. This is proof they're not geniuses. At the 2012 London Olympics, it's weird. Also, in my mind, there were no fans because of COVID. So I'm totally, you know, mixing things together. What I saw on TV, whatever. But the media was like right on the finish line. Like the prime seats. Like at one point I could have gone and like, I could have sat in row number one if I wanted to. I mean, this was nuts. So I had prime, prime real estate. And... I would love to sort of maybe we should re- write down our recollections of the, at the time, but like what were we thinking beforehand? 
people even contemplating a world record, you know, in a championship race? No, right? The famous story is Rudisha went to everyone, I think, before the race and was just saying, like, if you go with me, you're going to die. You know, he he told them he was going to be running ridiculous pace. And that's what happened. He went out and what was his opening? I think it was 14. Was it 49.2 or something? I need to look this up. We had a let's run recap of it. It was just something absurd for going by yourself without a pacemaker. Yeah. 49.28. I mean, just ridiculous. But And then he strings the whole field out. He's got this gap on the field. He's got, guys are running 141 pace behind him with 600 to go, and he's just gapped them. It's just it's absurd. And beautiful race. Dominance. The greatest 800 runner of all time running the greatest 800 of all time. Kind of curious how long this record has stood for 10 years. In the 10 years since then, only one other guy has broken 142. That was Nigel Amos, who was second in this race. He ran 141 again in Monaco three years ago. Do we think this record lasts another 10 years, or does someone break it? I'm giving it another 10 years. I don't think anyone's coming close to this. Super shoes don't seem to make it much big of a difference in the 800. Plus, the other thing that's often forgotten about is what happened the night before this race. When you put two of the greatest minds in track history together in the same bed, Weldon and Matt Taylor, the CEO of Tracksmith, and his wife all shared the same bed. Just think about the energy, the power. She was a great Ivy League champion in the 1500 herself, now a high-powered lawyer. That'll never happen again. I don't think Weldon will ever share a bed with two other adults. I think he's pretty straight-laced. So I'm not sure what happened that night in there, but whatever energy was in there was transferred to the track the next morning. Hopefully I didn't tell your wife something, Weldon, she didn't know already. For the record, this was straight-laced. But wow, things have really changed. I mean, yeah, Matt's wife's a high-powered lawyer. He's the CEO of Tracksmith. Yeah, Ten years ago, when it came to Worlds, he crashed in my hotel. I told him I was never there. He should just stay there. Although, Robert, I'm not sure he was there for the 800. I have no idea. He wasn't there the whole Olympics. But huge track fan. I think he had a free weekend. He's like, I'm coming out. Me and Emily were coming out. So... Uh, and you guys were saying, I mean, it's been 10 years, right? A lot's changed since then. Nigel Amos was always, for the longest time, the young guy with all the talents. He's going to maybe try to eclipse Rudisha. Well, he's now not so young, because if it's 10 years later, he's, what, 28? Yeah, he ran this. It was a world junior record at the time. He was 18 years old. And for those people skeptical of whether he was 18, I mean, he's continued to run at a high level since then. He hasn't medaled at the global championships, but this was a pretty absurd run by him in second as well. Now he's been popped for drugs. Oh, I, for I totally forgot about that. Holy crap. That happened, yeah, that happened right before world championships. Oh, man. Wow. John, a lot of people listening right now haven't forgotten about it. So I do did, you guys yeah. evaluate Nigel Amos's career differently? And also, Botswana's sort of tearing it up in some of these events right now. Well, they're starting to make names, but they've had some in the past. What's her name? Moncho? She was popped for drugs. She was. So I, I guess you could do the same game with this parlor game with American. Oh, this American spinner was popped. This one was popped. But 
I don't know. Are we going to be suspicious? Should we be suspicious of all Botswana? Is that fair? Do we think? I mean, we don't know. He's just been provisionally suspended, so we don't know for sure what the deal is with Amos. Should we be suspicious of his whole career? Well, yes. Whenever anyone is provisionally suspended, I think you have to be. I mean, yeah, I want more stuff to come out. I want to see the whole case ruling, but Whenever someone's provisionally suspended, yes, you do have to be a little bit more suspicious of everything they've accomplished because if they're taking a banned substance when they're 28 and they had amazing performances when they're 18, you know, you could chalk it up to natural talent, but you have to be somewhat skeptical. That applies to the Bowman Track Club as well, Jonathan. It does. You have to obviously look. I'm, of course, I'm more skeptical about Shelby Houlihan's performances now than before she tested positive. I mean, the, you can still think someone is more likely not to be innocent, but of course I'm more skeptical of everything she accomplished after her <clears throat> Nandrolone positive. Oh, well, we can tie these two things together, John, because I don't know if you know this, let Silly Tobogo, he's the world under 20, 100 meter champ. He ran 991. Then in the finals here in 1996 and got beat. Israel is the future of sprinting. A quasi Afrifa got the win. But what Silly Tobogo, John, is supposed to go to Oregon next year. Are you aware of that? <laughs> yeah, I'm well aware of it because I had a tweet about it saying him and Makai Williams on the same college team is not going to be fair. <laughs> but then I got a text from an Asian. He's like, wait. How the hell is Litsili Tobogo eligible? Like, how is this? Like, no one really knows how this NIL stuff works. But Litsili Tobogo, if you go on his Twitter profile, oh, he's changed it. No, no, he's no, it's still there. It says Botswana-born athlete, hundred meter U twenty world champion. But then it says professional athlete. Like, it's you know your employer job, and I could put like journalist or whatever. His literally says professional athlete. He's got a Nike deal. He has an agent. So I don't know if NIL just means none of that matters anymore. But I had multiple people texting me afterwards like, how the hell is this guy eligible? Is he actually going to be there? So I'm a little... But he, he's announcing before the championships, I'm going to Oregon next year. So who knows? If I had to guess, I'd say less than 50% chance he competes in the NCAA loss next year. But Oh boy, if he if he does, him and Makai Williams, it's gonna be like Cole Hawker and Cooper Tier in twenty twenty one. It'll be awesome to see. I really hope he goes to Oregon. I think it would be amazing. Does anyone know if this was talked about at the introductory press conference for Jerry Schumacher? I mean, if you haven't seen the video, watch this guy win the world juniors. He's showboating like Bolt. I actually thought it was a little disrespectful how much he was showboating, but it was ridiculous. People are immediately saying is this guy the next Bolt? I mean, he Aaron Knighton. By the way, Aaron Knighton could have run World Juniors. We're going to talk about World Juniors some more in a second, but <clears throat> like then Jerry Schumacher introduces the Oregon coach, and I'm like, did the did the local media even ask them? Like this would be like Archie Manning, the biggest recruit maybe ever, going to Oregon. Like to have this guy to have the next Bolt. I mean, maybe he's not going to be the Bolt, but to have an all time potential great sprint talent at Oregon even for one year. It would be huge for the locals. Like you think that would be, and, and if this is football recruiting circles, people, that's all they would be talking about. And I had the average person, I bet even the average track person didn't, but this did not come up. Did you what, listen to the video highlights of the interview? I haven't had time. I'm planning on doing it when I drive. If I'm ever invited to my family's vacation because I have COVID, 
That's all I was going to listen to. It's about 20 minutes. I watched the video that Dystat posted and this didn't come up. I don't know if that's because Tobogo, he announced it. Maybe, I don't know if his press conference where he announced it was after this or not. I'm not entirely sure on the timing. They did ask about Makai Williams. They said, because Makai Williams, remember, he's run 986. So he's actually run faster than Tobogo. He is a bit older, but he's still only 20 and he's run 986. He's a huge talent as well. And he said, yes, I've emailed with Makai and he's coming back. But I was also curious, no one asked him about Ben Thomas. Like, are you going to be retaining Ben Thomas? What's his future? And because Ben Thomas is obviously the excellent middle distance coach Oregon has at the moment. And maybe was us and it was just a non-answer and it wasn't in the video because it kind of cut it, cut it in and out a couple times. But that was one of the biggest things I wanted to know was, okay, yeah, it's nice that you're back here. Are you going to be keeping this guy or is, what's the future of him? You know? Yeah, I saw on the forums that I don't think they ask about Tobogo. I heard they just ask about Williams. So maybe the Eugene Press didn't know. I mean, I didn't know about this till last week. I mean, has it been well known that he was going to Oregon? I guess it must no. have been. It couldn't, it couldn't no, be. No, I, I don't think it was. I don't think it was well known. I mean, Schumacher might have known about it, but the local media might not have found out until he said this at World Juniors. So I'm, that's not what I was. I'm like, if. I don't know what the timing was, but if they didn't find out until the World Juniors, I don't blame them for not asking at the press conference. And if I'm Jerry Schumacher, and maybe this shows why I'm not, I think I'm calling Makai Williams. I'm not just going to email a 986 sprinter. Hope he comes, comes back. I might call and make sure Uncle Phil calls. The NIL truck backs up to his house. I'm not sure exactly how it works these days. Oh, maybe he called. I, I thought he said email, but I don't. 100% quote me on that. I thought he said email. But. All right. A few other things, you know, a bunch of other things. Do we want to say anything about, else about World Juniors? I do think we need to shout out Rasheem Willis for winning the 800 because that was a terrific performance by her. And a little bit of a surprise. I mean, I think if we were going to pick someone who's going to win this race in the United States, we would have gone with Juliet Whitaker because Juliet Whitaker won the US under 20 title. She beat Willis in the process and set the high school record in that race. 159.03. Whitaker runs well, she gets the bronze, but it's Roisin Willis who runs a personal best. Oh, sorry, 159.04 for Whitaker. I was forgot. I got the time wrong there. Roisin Willis gets passed and then passes by uh, the Swiss athlete Alexis Wero. And she gets passed, but then passes her back to win the title and runs 159.13. It's her first time under two minutes. I don't know if, according to Rojo rules, if this still counts as a high school time or not, but really impressive run by her. And great to be running. She's been running fast. I mean, I saw her run two flat and set the high school indoor record back in Boston in February. We're now into August, and she's running her best time of the year. So... Hats off to Rasheem Willis for delivering a terrific performance. And Whitaker as well. Two flat point one eight. Again, she's had a long season as well. Really, really good stuff. And it was Audrey Wero of Switzerland, not Alexis. I'm sorry. Should have studied this result more. But really good job by the Americans in this race. Well, John, you're correcting the Swiss athlete's name. We talked about this on the Supporters Club podcast. Rojo and I, I guess, owe an apology for calling her Rosen Willis. We're not good with Irish names. 
Roshin. How do you say it, John? Roshin. If you Roshin. go on, her, if you go on her Instagram, uh, I think it actually even she has a pronunciation guide, like part of her Instagram handle. Roshin Willis. And our apologies to all the uh, Australian people we offended on the Supporters Club podcast. I'm not sure if Robert really is going to make that T-shirt, but Jim, did you hear that? Have you heard that before? The phrase. I heard what before. Is this a common phrase or was this invented on the, on the podcast last week? An Australian is just an Irishman who's been caught. I've never heard that phrase before. I did. I didn't even hear it because I didn't think you enunciated it well in the podcast last week. No, I, I never, I'm not familiar with that phrase. Okay. Now it's out there for everyone to hear our sincere apologies. I shouldn't be a dick, but as Robert said, the only thing we're allowed to make fun of now are white countries being from America, white men ourselves. So a little humor there. I would also like to talk about one other thing at the World Juniors. And that, of course, is one of my favorite events. The women's pole vault. Because I thought it was interesting. The women's 800 had Woolworths flip the tables on Whitaker. I want to talk about the women's pole vault because we had a similar situation to the women's 800 where Rose and Willis, Rasheen Willis, flipped the tables on Whitaker. And the women's pole vault, where I'm, of course, an expert, Hannah Mole defeated twin sister Amanda Mole. Amanda Mole won USA. She's the U.S. junior record holder. She doesn't even medal. She's fifth at 420. But Hannah Mole, hopefully the younger twin, wins the gold for team USA. Is Amanda now how we say the name Amanda? Do you have insight on this that I don't, Robert? I feel like that was a pretty universal pronunciation, but fair enough. But you'd think that Sage Herta would be not would be Sage Herta, not Sage Erta, like they were saying on the Diamond League last week in Poland. I think that's wrong. I, I don't think. Well, I don't. I haven't talked to Sage about it, but I assume it's Herta. Uh, I don't think it's the silent H. All right. Do you guys want me to tie all this together for you? Go ahead. Well, we're talking about World Juniors. We're talking about twin. Also, we're in two other twins. Leo and Lex Young announced their college choice this week. The brothers of Nico Young. And if you missed it, last week we had their, their former high school coach, Sean Brosnan, on the podcast. So listen the archives you missed that sean just took the distance job at ucla so he's leaving the greatest high school team ever and they've got three of their top four back from last year i mean this team is unbelievable they could have i think the highest this team will have they'll have the 3k and the 5k records this year so some combination of the young brothers and they could have three sub four milers yeah, and they could have stayed for four-minute milers on the same team. But Leo and Lex, if you listen to the podcast, Sean's like, hey, they're about to make their college announcement. And a lot of the speculation was that, you know, maybe Sean going to UCLA, they were going to go with him. And Sean's like, no, that's not the case. I told Avery Anderson, the head coach, like, if you're expecting them to come, no, it's not going to happen. They're far along in the process. And they have chosen Stanford University, just like Juliet Whitaker. And Rosen, Rosheen Willis, Rosheen Willis, 
So Stanford is going to be loaded next year on the men's and women's side. But J.J. Clark, well, he's, only, he's the head coach and coaches the women. He's one of the best 800 female coaches in America ever, history. Coached his, what his wife, Gerald, Gerald Miles Clark, the American record. Sister Hazel Clark made the team. And who's the, not Joetta, right? Who's the other one? Joetta Clark Diggs. Oh yeah, Joetta Clark Diggs. They went one, two, three at the 2000 Olympic trials at 800. I mean, he's now got the world junior champ, the U.S. high school record holder. I mean, two sub two minute runners, freshman in college. They should already... I mean, they could already win CAs right now. If you put them in the NCAA meet, they, should, they would have won this year, presumably. I, I, I mean, it's the NCAA is going to be broken. I, I guess I think Mo sort of broke the NCAA 800 already. But like, what can be expected of these people is changing radically. I guess the good thing for them is the bench in front of them in the U.S. is so tough. Like These women are going to have a tough time conceivably ever making a U.S. team, right? I mean, there's no guarantees. But this is about Leo and Lexlung choosing Stanford. Yeah, well, big guy for Stanford. And if you guys listened to the podcast last week with Sean Brosnan, I think you could kind of tell they were leaning towards Stanford. Because I listened to that, I was like, well, they're not going to UCLA. And I feel like if they were following their older brother, Nico, to NAU, he would have dropped some sort of hint about that. But it didn't seem that way. So it's like, well... I think that means they must be going to Stanford then. And that was my prediction. I texted former Let's Run intern Carl Winter. I said, that's my pick. The Youngs are going to Stanford. I was validated. So, And I got it because of the information from your interview last week. So good work there, guys. Yeah, it's interesting because they're not going to be getting there until the fall of 2023. But when they get there, these are the guys, Stanford, these guys are all still have eligibility in cross country. Charles Hicks, who's run 13.24 and was fourth at NCAA Cross. Kai Robinson, who has run 13.20 and was second at NCAA indoors in the 5K. And Cole Sprout, who's run 13.24 and was fourth at NCAAs in the 10K this year. All three of those guys were sophomores in cross country last season, which means they would be seniors when the youngs arrive. I wonder... Well, I guess Stanford should challenge for the title this year, but I also think you know, by the time they get there, in 2023, they are going to have a ridiculous team. So, very interested to see because NAU, they're losing Abdahamid Noor this season. He's turned professional and signed with Nike. But, they, you know, they're still going to have a bunch of stars. They'll still have Nico Young. They're getting Colin Solomon. So, I think what will be awesome, actually, well, Nico, will he still have eligibility? Is Nico's a sophomore. Yeah. Oh, my God. 2023, you're going to have Solomon and Nico Young on NAU against Lex and Leo Young and, you know, Hicks, Robinson, and Cole Sprout on Stanford. So it's a Newbury Park war, Stanford versus NAU, and then you've got, you know, the regular contenders like Oklahoma State, that sort of thing. I don't know. I'm already really excited now for the 2023 NCAA cross-country season, is what I'm saying. Look, it should be fun, but, you know, Stanford has... It's almost unfair. If Stanford is interested in you and you have the academics, you're generally going to go. I mean, when I was coaching in the Ivy League, kid said he was interested in Harvard, Yale, or Princeton. I thought it was very hard for me at Cornell to get him. That's what's happening. 
for, for, for the kids that are going to get the actual athletic scholarships, when you're another coach of another school and you hear Stanford's interested and they have the grades, that's what you don't like to hear. And, and by the way, now that they've gotten getting rid of the SATs for all these things, almost anybody can get into an Ivy League school now. So it's a lot easier and you don't want to get someone in that's going to fail out. So you still need somehow to measure them, but don't tell anyone. Where did Jerry Schumacher's son go to school? It wasn't Oregon. It was Stanford people. So not a surprise. Hey, in this image of free transfers, any chance Nico transfers? Why the hell would Nico no, no, no. transfer? Even Why the hell? Yeah, well, let me read it. Let me read it. Well, fine. I'll go to the text messages. I mean, have you paid attention to anything? Like Mike Mike Smith's done a trend. Nico Young wants to be like, I would guess he wants to be probably the best American distance runner ever because you could see that sort of trajectory. He's been incredible his first few years at mm -hmm. NAU. Mike Smith's done a great job increasing, you know, bringing his speed along. Why would you leave that setup? He went, He Nico Young could have gone to Stanford out of high school. Well, and there you know, in a year because he wants to be the best runner possible, and he's done a great job at that through two years. Why would you leave midway through? It doesn't make any sense. Dale, you nailed it, John. Just got to, I'm going to read from a text message I got from a top college coach. Quote Nico was very bright, easily could have gone to Stanford. It's a shame because he's not going to make an Olympic or world championship team, says this college coach. I push back against that. So I think you'll probably make something. But why would you leave? Just to have a Stanford degree. That's why. Go to school with your brothers. No, I don't think it will happen. I mean, it's sort of crazy. I think you're even broaching it. But can you, can you tell me the number of athletes who have gone to one school and then transferred into Stanford for their junior or senior years to get the Stanford degree? It doesn't happen that often, but I had a that guy. That often? I'm waiting for the any name. I don't know. All I know is my alma mater, Princeton, now takes transfers. They didn't used to take transfers. So I wasn't really throwing it out there as a serious, it's something I thought was going to happen. But hey, with NILs, there's no loyalty. So if you want to get your degree somewhere else, hey, when I was at Cornell 10 years ago, I can't believe it's been almost 10 years. By the way, I'll start doing a coaching column, I think, now. It's been long enough. Anything I say is not going to offend any ex-runners. They're all in their late 20s now. But I had a guy, he ran at Purdue. He wanted to go to business school at Cornell. I said, "You, by the way, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to run in graduate school in the Ivy League. There's an Ivy League rule. So instead of coming to business school, he repeated his junior year to come into Cornell. And then last time I talked to him, he's running a company for Peter Thiel out in California. And he says, Robert, thank you. I said, why? You're, you're doing so well. You're, you know, you're such a bright guy. You work so hard. He's like, None of this would have been possible if I hadn't didn't have a Cornell degree. So what do you mean? He said, oh, they, I would have never gotten my first job. I think Bank of America, some investment banking job. He's like, they don't hire out of my school, out of my old school. They hire out of Ivy League. So it's unfortunate that that's, that's the way because it's the same brain. It's the same talent. They should recognize the talent anywhere. So if these companies are smart, they're not going to give a shit where your degree is from. They're going to care about whether you can do the job. But hey, we live in a messed up world where you know, I, I guess it's not that messed up when, when everything, when your gender identity and your sexual identity and your racial identity is the key. Is it that surprising that your actual diploma still matters too? Okay, Robert, going off the rails a little bit here, I'm going to jam you back on track. A few other things we 
want to hit. We will have the Monaco preview at the end of the show. Right before that, I do want to discuss some news that broke this morning. The New York City Marathon announced its men's elite field for this fall's race. We'll obviously talk a lot more about that when we're in November and the race is actually happening, but you've got the defending champ, Albert Courier, is coming back. You have the Boston champ, Evans Chebet. You've got the 2020 London Marathon champ, Shira Katada. But the name that stands out to American fans is going to be Galen Rupp. He's running his first New York City Marathon. This is something I think we've asked him to do on the podcast because his former coach, the disgraced Alberto Salazar, won New York City three times. We've seen Rupp run Chicago a bunch, but he's, I mean, we've seen Rupp run Boston a bunch. We've never seen him run New York, and now he's going there. So he's coming off of a 209 in the World Championship Marathon. He was 19th. He said he wasn't totally healthy, but for that buildup, missed a bunch of training. Or, you know, wasn't able to do what the, what he wanted to, basically, in his training. But feels like he's turned a corner and is going to be in a better spot in the fall. He's 36 years old. What do you guys make of Rupp running this race? Do you think that he can turn a corner and get back to what we saw from him a couple of years ago? Remember, he, only ran, he ran 206 and was second in Chicago less than a year ago. Or do you think he could even get surpassed and not finish as a top American? Because we've got Shadrach Kipchirchia making his debut, Leonard Correa, Elkana Kibet, Scott Farble, Ben True, a lot of other Americans. So what do you guys make of all this? Well, I got riled up and I still can't be riled up. I didn't even realize, John, that New York had announced basically the entire field because this woke crap has got me so upset. I got, a, I got an email from them and it showed up my Apple Watch. I only got the first half of this. Now I'm reading it. Here it is. Defending champions Alberto, Albert Career and Marcel Hug and U.S. Olympians and Paralympic stars Galen Rupp and Daniel Romanchek to headline men's field at 2022 NYC Marathon. It's just, like, I think it's great that there's, that there's wheelchairs, but we don't need a wheelchair race in every damn major. We need one. How many wheelchair athletes are there in these marathons? There's like 50. Let's have one super wheelchair race. We don't need to have eight majors with eight wheelchair races and act like it's the same thing as the regular marathon. It drives me nuts that, I mean, it's just not nearly as competitive and to put them on equal footing is insane to me. And it just bothers me what's wrong with modern society. So I didn't realize since they were giving so much head, I thought they just announced the champions are up and that was it. Instead, we actually have the entire field here. Entire men's field, yeah. Which is pretty interesting. And you've got one, two, three, four, four sub 205 guys, another sub 206. Look, I'm glad Rob's doing it. I begged him to do this race for a long time. It's bothering me that he's never really gone for a flat out dedicated American record attempt. What? He tried that in 2018 in Chicago. He fell short. Well, could he? But you ask these questions of could he lose and not be the top American? Yes. If he's hurt, Rob's not going to be the top American. But I still, I don't think, I, I think Rupp, if he runs his A game, is, is, is way better than every other American still. But this makes sense to me. He was banged up in the in worlds. Chicago is too close. He's not really going to be ready for that anyways. He's never done New York. See what you can do in a tactical race. Put your neck in it. 
have something exciting to do. So I'm excited he's doing this. It's good for fans. I agree. I actually think he'll do quite well. I mean, if he could stay healthy, this is the big question. But if he can get in an actual, like, here in 209 in Eugene, which 209 isn't what it used to be, but if he can do that off of a shitty buildup, suddenly a step forward for when he was dropping out of the New York City half earlier this year. If he can log a good buildup, usually when Galen Rupp has a good buildup, he runs good marathons. So I expect he'll, I mean, Evan Chabet and Albert Correa are two of the best marathoners in the world. So beating them might be a problem, but I could see him landing on the podium if he has no interruptions. But he's 36. The chances for interruptions go up when you're older and when you've had injuries in the past. John, I'm very excited. Rupp always moves the needle for me still. Although, not going to be for many more years, John. This Radisha 10 year thing. Rupp's now 36. I remember being there with Alberto in the mix zone after the silver medal. Times have changed. But, yes, he probably will be the first American, but don't overlook Shadrach Kipchurch here. I think he made his, was his half debut at the New York City half this year? Met the deceptively hard course. He did really well there. Howie Kofleski's his agent. It's like, hey, this guy... Look out for him in the marathon. And I think with his 10K speed, you got to look out for that. I think he could be. America needs somebody post Rupp. We we don't have somebody, right? Do we have anyone now who's competitive? No, there's no one close to Rupp at his best. But I mean, Scott Fobble just ran 208 in Boston, which is, that's good. Uh, and he's going to be in this race as well. Like you said, Kipchichia. 101.16, that was his debut in New York in March. So that was a good effort. Leonard Correa's run 207 in the past. I mean, you're getting... And then Marty has also run 208. He's coming back, you know, he hasn't raced a marathon in a while because he's been busy being a doctor, but he's in here. And Abdi Abdurrahman still getting invited to these races, and I know it's going to happen. Everyone's going to write Abdi off and say he turns 46 in January, this guy's done. What is he still doing? Then he's going to come out and he's probably going to run like 2.11 and finish fifth place. So you never, never, never write off Abdi Abdurrahman. As long as Abdi's out there, John, like, gives me hope, keeps me young. I mean, he's essentially my age, a couple years younger. Last time we raced, I beat Abdi. That's all I can say, people. 2003 <laughs> USAs. I just, maybe I hung him up a little early. Super shoes? Holy shit. I could, John, I mean, I, I tell people now, they're like, oh, did you run the marathon? Yeah, it never went well. I should have run like 210, 211. But now, super shoes, I could just say I should have run like a 206 guy. You know, probably 207, 208, but hey, I'm a 218. Okay. Well, I'm, ex I'm excited for New York City Marathon. It's always a good race. I'm excited to see who they got on the women's side. I do wonder now, I'm like, hmm, it's a lot of guys. Is there going to be anyone left for Chicago? Uh, I guess we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But is it time to go to the Monaco Diamond League preview? We need to dedicate at least you know little time to this. Now, people may have already meet may have already happened by the time they listen to it because we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. The meet is on Wednesday afternoon. But if you haven't, we'll. I'm interested to talk about it because it should be a great race, great meet. I think we should go there. Also, Allison Felix's final race when 
Robert was ranting about woke stuff, I thought that's where we were going. She's running a hundred at a street race in New in LA this weekend, open to the public. There's like kids races. I think the races are are for women. Excuse me. It's not open to the public. No, there's there's open races, just not for men. For females or individuals who identify as female. So that's how Allison Felix is going out. When her career started, it could have been a lot of money that, that you know, you wouldn't have a race with those names. So some people would say it's progress, but progress. Look, she, she, female she, now, she, female now essentially is losing its, its, uh, scientific claim, like the word woman, but Hey, we don't need to go there. We do need to go there. Which does she want to do it? Does she want to be played up for her mother or not? I thought her big thing was her, how she's a, a, a she gave birth and is still a professional athlete and how hard that is. And Nike needs to give her maternity leave. Guess what? A trans woman will never do. Give birth. In my retirement party, can you imagine the outrage if I have a race for white men only? Yes, that would be a well, lot yes, of outrage. that would be outrage. This is for women only or people who identify as women, essentially. I don't know why they use the word female and people identify as female because female should stay a scientific term. But that's a completely different thing, Robert. Isn't, so. that, but isn't, isn't that insulting what she's saying for females or, or, or women who identify as female? I thought a trans woman was a woman. So by what she's doing, she's implying that a trans woman isn't a woman. They only identify as a woman. So shame on you, Allison, for not being woke. I mean, you could take it that if you want to take anything extreme, you could take it that way. And there are some radical feminists, feminists or not, or feminists who are offended by that. But hey, I'm not sure I want to talk about Pope Monica. I'm in a bad mood. Can, can we just talk COVID briefly while we've been doing no, this podcast? I, you really think our listeners, after sitting through an hour and a half of this podcast, want to talk about COVID, which is something that they heard. More a lifetime's worth of when we were doing this podcast in 2020 and 2021, nothing was going on. That's what they want to hear about instead of one of the best. I've just taken a COVID test and this morning I've tested negative and I was all excited to join my wife on vacation, but I didn't trust it because it wasn't the buy next test, which I, I do all the time. And that's the one they actually use downtown when you go to the state center. So I, I did a second test right now as we're recording this podcast buy next and it comes back positive. So which is it? Well, you said the better one, the more reliable one is the How one. How do I know it's better? They're both, so, they both have the FDA approval. They're both sold in the damn Robert, you quit testing, go on vacation. Jeez. Your kid tested negative and after vomiting. I'm pretty sure he has COVID. He's on vacation. He has COVID. I hate to tell you, even though he tested negative, he had COVID, buddy. But all right, Monaco Diamond League, we don't need to harbor it too much because we will have a supporters club live show tomorrow right after this meet. And although, you know, the anticipation of the meat often is better than the meat. You're going to want to hear our instant reaction. So let's run.com slash subscribe, become a supporters club member. Thanks to everyone who keeps signing up and you save 20% running shoes. Okay. Monaco, big picture for me, John, thank you for the writing preview. So I'll sound informed on this. There's two things of note. The men's 200 is fabulous. Wait, right. You guys are talking about somehow the way you guys wrote it originally. It's like world champions, Michael Norman, and Noah Lyles. Uh, Arian Knighton. No, no, no. I way care more about Arian Knighton. It's Knighton, Lyles, and Norman? Yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, Th that's as good you, as Weldon. it gets. Thank that's you. as good as it gets. Anytime Knighton and Lyles race, it's must-see TV. It's like boxing. This could be for the next five years, what have you. I don't know if it's going to be that long. This, could, this event, 
Robert Johnson's gone there before. It could be the Area Night Show before you know it. Because as we pointed out, at what, LA 2028? Area Night will be younger than Noah Lyles is right now. That's how young this, this kid is now. But right now, they're going right back at it. And you throw in Michael Norman. And you think, oh, Michael Norman is going to get smoked. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, only one man has ever beaten Noah Lyles in a Diamond League 200 meters. And his name is Michael Norman. If you read the Let's Run preview, you'd know that's true because I had a whole section about that. But yeah, the no, the night, the night and Lyles Norman race. This is the race of the day. You've got world championship from the two hundred and four hundred squaring off. Knighton and Lyles when they raced each other at USA's, phenomenal. And then Knighton had a little issue with his blocks uh, in the final of the world championships. He only got the bronze, but still bronze at eighteen. Terrific accomplishment. He just won in Hungary on Monday, nineteen point eight eight. Probably will have to go faster in Monaco to beat him, but that's going to be sensational. And then the other real big race here is the women's 1500 because Faith Kipigon, she has not said this is a world record attempt, but I think it's basically a world record attempt because she said at Worlds she'd like to lower her personal best. I texted her agent, Valentine Trow. I said, is this a world record attempt? He said, if the weather's good, she wants to run a personal best. Well, her personal best is 351.07. It's exactly one second slower than the world record. I'm guessing if she wants, she would rather just run the world record as opposed to running a time between 350.07 and 351.07. And I think she's certainly got a shot to do it. She's already run 352 twice this year. I think she'll have the pacing lights here. She, we know she's in good shape. That's going to be fun to see if she can get this world record that Kenzebe Dababa set on the same track seven years ago. I'm so pumped for that race. I can't believe believe they're not really announcing it as a world record attempt. But if she said she's not good enough to set the PB and then not break the world record on purpose, she never goes. For, she rarely goes for the fast time. So that's great. Men's three thousand. Hey, I thought the Balmain Track Club didn't race. They're all over there. People need to get realized they do race. So Grant Fisher. Could be in it for the win. And if he's in it for the win, the American record is 729 flat. I think he's got to be in that type of shape. So could Bernard Lagat's record go? That's, you know, um, pretty amazing. Let's run. One third of the think Miss Kipiegon's a break. The world record. There's a woman steeple that ends the meet. This is absurd to me. Like, I don't understand how in the hell You've got these loaded men's 200 that just put that last. End with the great thing. You need to end with the biggest matchup. End with that walk out of the sea and crouch back. Instead, you're going to have the men's 200 and then they're going to have the intersex women's steeplechase. I just, I, I don't get it. I, I, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you want to send the fans down on, on a low light like that? Like, can someone come up with one good reason why the women's steeplechase is the last event on the schedule? I mean, my only thing was like, oh, do they just don't want to move the barriers? Is that kind of a pain? No, it doesn't make it. You can move the barriers away very easily. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. I agree, Robert. It's totally absurd. I don't understand it. Why do we call it the intersex moving steeple now? Because the young lady from Ethiopia who won the silver medal, Weldon, who came onto the scene last year at age 25 with no history of running at all and ran 156, the fastest time in Ethiopian history, and then didn't run the Olympics. And then appears to be intersex when you talk to them is in the event. That's why. 
I apologize for the rants, people. Before I get canceled, I think COVID's made me angry. I cannot believe I just tested positive after testing negative. I don't know what to do. I'm out of here. Okay. Well, goodbye, Robert. I guess I'll tell Weldon about the men's thousand because I did think this was kind of cool that you've got the men's 800 world champ against Manuel Correa against the men's 1500 world champ, Jake Whiteman. And you don't usually get those sort of crossover matchups that we want to see in the thousand. Like I remember in 2016, right after the Olympic trials, the US 800 champ Clayton Murphy raced the US 1500 champ Matthew Centrowitz in a thousand meters in Houston. It was a great race. Murphy just beat Centrowitz. They both ended up meddling at the Olympics. So I'm kind of excited to see that. I would give the edge to, to Whiteman because that's really his sweet spot for distance, but he might be tired just having run Commonwealths and Worlds. And then the women's 100, Shelly Ann Fraser-Price and Sharika Jackson. Again, a battle of two world champions. They're both in great form. Shelly Ann has just been running 10.67 like clockwork, so... Who knows? The Monaco track, I don't think, is the fastest for sprints, but if I had to predict the time, I'd say 10.67 because she's run that in four of her five finals this year. So, yeah, a lot of... Lot, uh, oh, men's 110 hurdles. I'm pumped about that because Grant Holloway and Hansel Parchment, they're both entered. Parchment withdrew from the Commonwealth finals and he scratched from Worlds because of injury at the final. He injured himself in the warm-up. So we haven't seen the World and Olympic champions race each other this year. So hopefully that comes to fruition. Because we had a good hurdles race in Hungary on Monday. Holloway got beat by the other Brit Jamaican, Rashid Broadbell. So yeah, a lo- lot of good races on the calendar here at Monaco. Oh, Parchment is British too, John? Well, he's Jamaican, so he can run in the Commonwealth Games. You said by the other Brit Jamaican. Oh, I didn't mean to say that. Sorry. I The other Jamaican. I don't know why Brits slipped in there. Okay. Yeah, no, I saw Grant Hallway get beat, which sort of surprised me. But yeah, Parchment, it's okay, at Worlds, he clearly wanted to run. He's warming up. Essentially cramps up. Can't physically run, so he pulls out. But Commonwealth, you know, we're talking about how certain meets may not mean anything. He pulls out like the morning of. Precautionary measure. It's like, cool. Like, this one isn't big enough to give it a go, but He's probably, he's the Olympic champion. He's going to get paid this year for being the Olympic champion. You know, down the road, he'll get paid, but not as much. So Monaco with Holloway is probably as good as it gets for him financially. Maybe it's, I probably can't criticize him for making sure he gets paid. And he hasn't lost this year. It's interesting. What Parchment is good at is what Holloway is not good at. Parchment is terrific at the last three hurdles and Holloway if you watched he had an enormous lead midway through the race in Hungary but he struggled with his last three or four hurdles and got beat at the line by Broadwell so sorry Broadbell so that's what makes this such a compelling matchup is we know Holloway's going to get out fast is Parchment going to be able to run him down oh and plus the US champ Daniel Roberts is in there world championship silver medalist Trey Cunningham yeah so 110 hurdles again one of many star-studded, fantastic races on this Monaco calendar schedule. Wait, Cunningham's in there too? Yeah. And that's correct, silver medalist? Yeah. I mean, I would love to have Devin Allen here, but he's out at Eagles training camp. It's crazy how Cunningham and this whole brouhaha with Allen and everything got totally lost in the mix. I mean, the guy's very good. 
But oh no, yeah, John, they are flying over Devon Allen. The Prince of Monaco's got some cash, chartered the plane, boom, boom. He listens to the podcast and said, you know what? I'm sorry it couldn't happen in the World Championships, but we're going to make this thing right. We'll do it in Monaco. Maybe we should get him to listen to the podcast. But what? It's two-a-days, right? You could fly over between the morning session and the after. They still do two-a-days for football or not? I think they've been phasing them out. They some, I think so. I don't know. Yeah, I think they're, they're fewer and fewer, but I'm not entirely sure. Eagles fans, let us know if you hear anything about Devin Allen. I feel like local news is the one thing where local news is actually relevant is like when they go to training camp, at least for Cowboys. I don't know if they do this in other cities, but Cowboys, like all the stations go out to training camp and tell you what's going on. Because John, I was on like an Eagles blog today and they're like, Devin caught two passes, including one in the seven on seven drill, which was important because he dropped Devin Allen folks dropped a ball. The blogger made a big deal of this. He dropped a ball and they're just kind of like, you're kind of running routes. They're throwing you balls. And there's no defense. And he just sort of casually dropped it. They're like, oh, that, like, that was a big deal. Like, come on. Oh, yeah. No, people, all the Boston reporters are giving live updates on Patriots training camp. And I read that the other day, oh, sorry, yesterday, Monday, the Patriots offense just had a terrible session and was dominated by the defense. They're like, oh, it's Mac Jones. Does this mean he's regressed? I'm like, all right, this isn't good, but it's one practice and training camp. Like, yeah, let's wait till the real game start. All right. That is going to do it for this week's episode of the pod. So good to be back talking track and field with Robin and Weldon, even though Robert has left because of COVID-related frustration. We're going to have a beauty of a Diamond League in Monaco on Wednesday. And if it's already happened, well, join the Let's Run.com supporters club and you can get our reaction podcast, which we are going to release. It'll be streamed live at the time on the internet. But if you join the supporters club at Let's Run.com slash subscribe, you'll be able to get it at your listening pleasure. Morning commute, evening run, whenever you want to listen to it. We'll have your breakdown of one of the best trap meets of the year. Until then. John Gold signing off.